I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we sit down with Teague Foreman, a rural community, home-based physiotherapist who also happens to live with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Let's talk about it. Uh, guys, today we are sitting down with a guest who knows a whole fuckload about uh, the human body, or at least I would hope so, uh, as Teague, our guest today, uh, holds a Bachelor of Science in Biomechanics from the University of Calgary, but also a Master's in the Science of Physiotherapy from right here, Dalhousie University, and, uh, and is currently working as a, as a, a community healthcare, a rural community healthcare in working in rural community healthcare as a home-based physiotherapist. But although I'm sure we might talk about physiotherapy in this conversation, we're not here to talk about physiotherapy from a science perspective. We're actually here to talk about Teague's own experience with something we've talked at length about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Let's fucking go. I love a good EDS episode. I'm actually, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit disappointed because oh. Oh. because I wanted to dive into physiotherapy because my girlfriend, um, it, she wants to become a pelvic floor physiotherapist yeah. and right. she's currently studying kinesiology. Yeah. So I've and been Brian loves about physiotherapy a lot. Episodes that we do with people about things that can benefit his own that's life right. and you know for like, my own self-interest i think that's the yeah. the beautiful thing about having a conversation you know when you're really trying to take something away from the other person that's what makes it so beautiful yeah, you so take yeah. you're a taker. i am i yeah. am still equally interested in talking about ellers danlos and we're, so. we're two minutes in making it about yourself we Thanks. haven't even heard a word from teague, teague thank you so here, much teague. for joining us today <laughs> um uh, i guess uh, d- take a moment i mean take a moment introduce yourself you're you're obviously more than just your education uh who who is teague and what what are you all about <laughs> After seven years of education, it feels like uh, I am only my education. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking bad. Um, I am, I'm Teague, born and raised in Western New Brunswick, which is actually where I've come home to, which was a huge surprise after being in Calgary and then Halifax for for so long. Um, But I am a swim coach, uh, a physiotherapist. I don't really do much else other than (laughs) those two things because student loans are excessive (laughs) (laughs) it's painful uh, to think about but uh, it's been really cool to be able to come home and work with uh, a lot of our seniors in our um, lower socioeconomic population um, Mm. in rural New Brunswick so uh, I've been really privileged to get a job that I wanted right from the get-go so Mm. I like it (laughs) that's got to be that's that's got to be a very very unique and fascinating and also f- fulfilling lane to work within um 
because you know when I think of physiotherapy, I think of I think of uh, I think of a lot of sports related injuries. You know, that's where you know I mean that's mm. where that's where all my physiotherapy has. It, that's why I've had all of my physiotherapy in life is because I did something when I was playing a sport and I needed to get it fixed so I could keep playing that sport. Or um, and, and I know that there I know that that's not all physiotherapy is, but um, you know when you're working with um, like when you're working with um, like, are are you, are you working at all with, you know, like people who are homeless or like anything like, like anything where the issues that arise for them are just issues that maybe like I would never even really think about. I would say so. Um, When people think physio, they think of a clinic and you're in a clinic room for 20 minutes and you, you know, you get poked and prodded and put on a machine and, you know, you're good to go back to your sport. Um, And that's what my experience was too (laughs) for a really long time. Um, In my experience now from a community healthcare perspective, I get to go into people's homes and this is like right into their, their living rooms, their kitchens, all that stuff. Um, we sit there and we talk about what their physio need is. And a lot of the time it's mobility. Um, can they get up and down off of a toilet? Can they live independently? Can they go up and down stairs in case of a fire? Um, we do a lot of walkers, a lot of canes. It's very bare bones, um, basic, basic physio. But at the same time, you see people who don't have access to um, doctors because we're very limited here. Um, we see people who don't have a way to get to the hospital um, mm. unless they call an ambulance, um, which they can't afford. Um, mm. And we see people that have probably never been to a doctor in longer than I've been alive. Um, so it's really nice to be able to go in there and have a, say, you know, a back pain referral or a hip fracture referral and help them get the resources that they need. So I feel like we're more of a social worker than we are a physio sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not super complicated work, but you have to know the basics of everything because you're going to see everything Mm -hmm. in home care. It's cool. Mm -hmm. It sounds like there's like a really important advocacy component to it as well. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest part in making sure that the services are um, getting to the people that need it. Um, we all pay our taxes, so I don't feel bad playing in the gray area of getting people the help they need if they don't completely mm. qualify for it. Um, and we get them to specialists and, and stuff like that. It's, it's cool to, it's a great ego boost. Um, you're never going to feel better than working in community healthcare because yeah, you're told every day that you make a difference and it's nice. <laughs> Yeah, it's really nice. I, I, um, I'm curious about, uh, about your experience with Ehlers-Danlos, but before we get into that, maybe, um, maybe a refresher for the three of us and a refresher for anybody else who's listened to the podcast for a long time or, uh, or someone who's never even heard of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome before. What is EDS? Yeah. So, and I can go all physio on you here too. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> us up. Fuck us up with the facts. <laughs> Um, so EDS, um, I've heard you guys' previous episodes. I think you've had a couple people on at least with, with it. And it's been more the hypermobility type, um, the one that I remember. Um, but there's 13 subcategories of it. Um, it kind of affects different things to different severities, depending on your category. Um, the kind of umbrella term for EDS is your hypermobility type because it doesn't take specific genetic testing to be clinically diagnosed. Um, so 
and that's that was what my diagnosis was um, as well. And most people, that's what it is, um, because genetic testing isn't exactly um, easy to get. Um, but it's a group of disorders that um, affect the collagen, um, which is a part of your connective tissue, um, which makes up literally everything in your body. Right. Um, you know, the mainstay being your skin and your ligaments. Um, but uh, and that's what most people deal with. Um, but some people have vascular EDS, for example, which affects the arteries, um, mostly around the aorta and the heart. Um, so they have a pretty severe uh, case of EDS in that case. Um, but it's a, it's mostly confirmed by clinical assessment, um, different uh, hypermobility testing stuff that most girls qualify for 100% right, of the time, right. um, especially young girls pre-puberty. Mm. Um, so it's really not very um, specific uh, in its diagnoses um, or sensitive, but uh, it's the genetic component is where you start to see the differentiation between the 13 different um, categories um, because there is the hereditary um fact with it. Right. I, I mean, so, you know, something that, that never really dawned on me until this moment of hearing your explanation of Ehlers-Danlos is um, j- just last night, me and my uh, girlfriend were sitting on the couch and we, we stumbled across this, um, this one hour Cirque du Soleil special. And it was, it was specific acts from different Cirque shows. And the reason we put it on is because one of the one of the acts that were in there was one that we saw in Toronto last uh, like a couple of years ago. And you love, I fucking love you Cirque du Soleil. Love, I <laughs> I am I, I am such a massive massive advocate for Cirque du Soleil because it's like a life changing experience to see it. It's also super. I mean, some of it's like really gnarly, and so like just thinking about circus performers, especially the contortionists. It was making me think like that, that is a type of hypermobility that is like, that is so wild to see. Um, it hurt, it physically hurts my body to see someone put themselves into a tiny little suitcase all by themselves. It, it um, gives me the heebie-jeebies. It is, it is. It's like, it's, it's, it's like a form of body horror. It's amazing. So uh, my question is, is that type of hypermobility... Is that, I mean, is that just, is that just EDS that's, or, or, or is like, like, what, how do I, I mean, I, I guess I'm kind of stepping away from like your personal experience in EDS in general, but like, how the fuck, how does, how does the circus work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how is that genetic? Is it like, are there, is that genes? Like how, how do, how can people be so hypermobile yet maybe perhaps not have something like a, a, a you know, a, an issue with the collagen in their body? That is a, that yeah. is a symptom or, or not a symptom, but like a syndrome or a disease. I don't know if it's so much like those folks probably have some amount of baseline hypermobility. I think Mm. you can train quite a lot of it. Um, However, stretching and that level of flexibility takes like a dumb amount of training, like Mm. disgusting Mm -hmm. amounts of holding the splits and doing weird things. (laughs) Um, I assume they'd have to have some kind of bits because they're popping their joints in and out of place. which is gross to me because mine happens by mistake and they do it on purpose. (laughs) 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 Doesn't, doesn't really seem fair. Um, but you know, I, they have to have something beyond their years of training because that is insane. Mm -hmm. So what is, so what is your experience with 
EDS? Like, where does it start mm. with you? I'm assuming you're a hypermobile child, which again, especially in like, if you're a young girl, it seems like that's a super common thing. Um, I was what, a hyperactive child. You were hyperactive, but not hypermobile. <laughs> not so hypermobile. I mean, you moved a lot. You were very mobile. Oh, yeah, I was hypermobile. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But you didn't have hypermobility. Um, but where where does that where does that all um, start with you? So we've kind of known that there was something going on probably since I was a baby. There's kind of stories about um, like I didn't crawl. Um, mine's really centered like my skin issue is centered around my knees. So I have like black and blue knees all the time. I bruise Ooh. from wearing pants, just oh my friction God. on my skin. Yeah, wow. it's stupid. <laughs> um, it's super annoying. So, you know, I got a lot of really inappropriate jokes as a small child from right. adults right. <laughs> about being on my knees too much. So, because oh um, you're because you're like, honestly, because you're, you're doing too much praying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I think what they were saying in the Bible yeah. belt that I yeah. live in. <laughs> that's inappropriate. Um, indeed. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. And the older I get, the more I'm like, Oh my God, that's not okay. Um, but I didn't crawl as a kid. So my parents used to make fun of me. Cause I just like butt scooted around forever until I started oh. walking. It's kind of cute uh, though. Like, there, find, there is something really, is. really sweet about that. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, come to go. find out, I was just in terrible pain. Oh, apparently. Not so sweet now. Yeah. <laughs> not so sweet. Um, no, I think that's where it started. Um, and they didn't, I mean, no testing went into that. Um, that wasn't a concern per se. I was hitting all my growth charts and, and, motor milestones. So it wasn't a problem. Um, when I was getting a little bit older, I was rolling my ankles all the time, like mm. severe rolling ankles. Um, so I played sports. My dad had me wearing like high top sneakers from a very young age, which were not fashionable. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we, there was a doctor that went down a pretty, um, steep slope of, uh, of accusing child abuse against my parents oh, because wow. I was bruised up all the time, oh, wow. but I was really just a kid playing and bruising excessively. So we didn't really think much of it. We knew there was probably something wrong. Um, I think I was tested for hemophilia pretty early on, but mm. wasn't it. Um, and then it wasn't really a concern. And then I got a new doctor, um, which I'm very thankful she's put me down this road because of the education and just understanding of what's wrong with me. Um, but she kind of pushed for getting genetic testing when I, she, she was doing like an initial assessment with us as she brought us on as a family. And she was like, hmm, I wonder if you have X, Y, Z things. And the differential diagnoses were general hypermobility, um, stuff like Marfan's, um, EDS, stuff like that. How old um, were you not then? A, ED, I would have been probably 13 or 14 okay. um, mm -hmm. at that time. And Part of the reason why she wanted me to get tested, I think a lot of it was just like personal interest, which whatever, I don't care. Um, but she kind of put a lot of pressure on if I want to have children in the future, that that would be a really good thing to know if I have a genetic condition, as well as uh, the ramifications of having going through childbirth um, with a connective tissue disorder. Right. Super oh. dangerous. These are heavy but conversations I, for a thirteen-year-old. What, what? How did? How, how did that? How did these get brought? How did these get brought up? It was just general. I think she was asking. I was like, "Yeah, I sprain my ankles a lot. My skin's really stretchy. We think there's probably something, but we're not too concerned about it." And she was kind of like, "Let's get genetic tested." Um, and even at that age, I was telling her, "I don't want to have kids, so it doesn't matter." But here we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's why I think it might have been more 
kind of uh, personal interest of like, hey, I have a patient with EDS and I'm getting her diagnosed and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to know. Uh, yeah. It's had a lot of uh, more, I guess, negative implications than anything. Like the difference between thinking you have hypermobile EDS versus, in my case, classical doesn't really change anything. There's no cure. There's no change in management. The only difference is if I'm in an accident, they give me a really like significant clotting drug, which I don't wear my medical alert for. And because um, <laughs> I'm a terrible patient. And um, if I need stitches, which I do all the time because I'm a klutz, um, they'd have to do extra. That's the only right. implication of knowing that I have this condition. Um, so I think it was more doctor's curiosity than anything. Right. Um, which like I said, it doesn't really, really matter. And as somebody in the health field and in physiotherapy, it's cool to have, but I actually like that process coming from rural New Brunswick took a a really long time. I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my master's. So I would have been 24. Oh, wow. Wait, 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 why does it take that long? (laughs) It was just, I was probably 14 at the time. By the time I'd gone through and had like seen my blood, the blood specialist and for Marfans and uh, and hemophilia and all these things. And by the time we got around to genetic testing, I was going out West for school. <laughs> so every time they called and said, Hey, do you want to come to Halifax? It's at the IWK um, to get this testing done. I was like, I'm not there. And then I didn't think about it for a long time. They stopped calling and I didn't think about it. And Ooh. then we were sitting in class in like one of the Tupper buildings and we were going through like intro MSK class and, or no, sorry, intro musculoskeletal class. And we came across like hypermobility in general. And there was this, um, there's, I can't even remember what it's called, the scale. It's, it's horrid for um, actually differentiating if you have hypermobility or not, but it's like seven things. And it's like, can your pinky bend backwards 90 degrees, which is like right. this. Um, can you touch the floor with the palms of your hands, Do your elbows and your knees hyperextend, Uh-oh. stuff like that. I'm three for three guys. <laughs> you, you need four. I got I EDS. I, I can tell. It's, ta- I, it's uh, exactly. Uh, I oh, can no. feel it. New diagnosis for you. Oh God. Put me, it's, put me in the circus. <laughs> circus will be calling you now. Um, no, we were sitting there and they're like, you need four out of seven to, you know, be categorized and we were all up doing it and my prof goes yeah you won't see anybody have 707 meanwhile we were going through each one and i was like check 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 i was like oh no (laughs) and then i was like oh yeah the iwk is across the street let's call them up and say hey do you still have my referral and they did and got the testing done got poked and prodded by some med students and then um here we are so Kind of a fun, really long journey. Yeah, fascinating though. Like, what a fascinating way to like really get to the the bottom of it all. Um, Man, that's so interesting. I I I mean, maybe I'm I'm skipping ahead here, but but uh, again, because I I feel like it's it's very it's very it's nice to be able to speak to you about this EDS stuff from your own perspective, but also to get your you know your healthcare professional take on it. you, I know that you, uh, prior to recording here, you were telling us about how you were in town recently for the North American Indigenous Games, where you were coaching Team New Brunswick for swimming. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I'm 
I gather that swimming has been a kind of a big part of your life since you were a young child. And we've been talking a lot um, in a different project about the importance of maintaining muscle health. And hearing your description of EDS, it makes me feel like, um, you know, someone who has Ehlers-Danlos likely um, will experience things in their life that almost, you know, I'm guessing would would lead to someone going, you know what, I'm actually going to avoid going to the gym or I'm going to avoid physical activity because it's just going to, it's just going to cause more fucking headaches for me than anything else. Um, so when it comes to maintaining muscle health and, and, you know, the importance of physical activity, especially through like, through, through the, for, for like youth and things like that is swimming, like is swimming just a, is swimming a great way to physically uh, exert yourself for someone who has something like Ehlers-Danlos? Yeah. Um, from a like purely exercise perspective, um, there's little to no, um, you know, forces going through <laughs> your joints. Um, the only time, and this is where it's different. They say swimming is a really good rehab um, for general joint issues, but um, muscle strengthening and stuff. Competitive swimming isn't really because so of much. the frequency of the extreme loads that you're, you know, you're swimming kilometers on kilometers a mm. week, a day, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that extent, probably not, um, as well as doing flip turns is a dumb amount of force going through your ankles, your knees and your hips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, all right, right. Um, from a from a general recreational perspective, it would be a really good one. However, like I think my I've had the least amount of issues with my EDS, even as a growing child when I was having, you know, when your joints are the worst, I probably was in my best condition when I was swimming for those 10 years. Mm. Um, I have significantly more issues now and I don't I don't lift weights the same way I did when I was, you know, in swimming. I'm not running. I'm not swimming, you know, a bunch of miles. Um so I think from a muscle building perspective, it was really great for EDS because my major joints were being supported muscle wise and maintained muscle wise from the swimming. And I didn't have to worry so much about doing my mm-hmm. general physio mm-hmm. that I never did anyway. <laughs> um, so now that I'm old, well, older, but I'm not swimming and I kind of just do activities recreationally, I'm hurting myself more because I don't have the muscle mass that I did right. at 17 years old. <laughs> right, right, right. What, what is that? So. What, what does it look like? What, or historically, what has it looked like for you to, for you to do things like running or lift weights? Like, are, were, were you with your Ehlers-Danlos? Were you, were you running? And again, I guess in hindsight, not knowing, not, uh, not knowing at the time that you had Ehlers-Danlos, were you getting injuries at a frequency rate that you were going the heck's what going the on fuck? here? Why am I always like, why am I always, why is this, why am I always on <laughs> Why are my the, ankles always sprained? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yeah. what's going on here? I, yeah, you know, I know you mentioned the ankles thing. Is that something that like that and, and did anything else kind of just like plague you in, in your sports career? I think I just knew that I was like, I rolled my ankles all the time and we knew I had some kind of hypermobility. My skin's really stretchy. My joints suck. So I don't think I necessarily even noticed or cared because I didn't. 
it didn't bother me that much. I rolled my ankles doing nothing. Like I'll be standing and I'll roll my ankles, <laughs> but, um, sports wise, it never, I never had shoulder injuries, which I do now. I never had any issues with that. I ran, I played baseball and softball, like, you know, nothing that couldn't be managed with a high top sneaker kind of thing. Right. Um, my knees were kind of the main issue growing up, but I think it had more to do with, um, muscle imbalances than it did the EDS. Um, and then I never really had any issues until I stopped being a fairly elite mm. athlete. So you stopped like, which so, is interesting. so the muscle mass decreases, obviously you're losing, you're losing the structural ability to, you know, to hold your joints in, in the right place. Um, yeah. Is, is it, is it solely down to that or is there, or is there any progressive component to EDS that's also influencing the, the more, the higher frequency of, of injuries? As far as I know, there's not actually a progressive nature to it beyond, um, the structural, um, impairments that happen from frequent, say straining a ligament. Mm. Um, our bodies are, um, they're kind of cool. It's actually what um, science is trying to reproduce is, is, um, the, vis it's called viscoelastic, but our bodies have a plastic and an elastic component. That's why we're able to say like stretch our skin and it pops back. But if you put pull too far, it'll rip kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you'd literally tear it off. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's really, uh, when we lose muscle mass, um, there's still going to be, say, if you go for a run, there's the same amount of force going through the joint. But when we have muscle mass, the force is able to run through more force runs through the muscle than it does through the joint itself, um, or the bones, for example. Mm. So having that muscle mass is really kind of critical. I assume that's why I didn't have any issues back then. Um, cause I was really strong. Um, so from a pr progressive nature, I don't think it's necessarily like the condition gets worse and worse. I think it's more just the repeated injuries make mm. it worse and worse. Yeah. And that's been my experience. So because I have reduced muscle mass compared to before, a lot more of my joint stability comes from relying on my ligaments. Mm. My ligaments are all connective tissue yeah. <laughs> yeah. and collagen and that, which I don't have proper structure of so it's uh causes a lot easier issues and now so like, is mine more extreme i don't know <laughs> right so like the integrity the integrity of the joints uh, uh, like it comes under, there comes under, terrible yeah like and over time that deteriorates with every with every event that occurs yeah like a lot of the times when you have like an ankle sprain or a shoulder dislocation you're putting a very sudden very forceful um injury onto your ligament, for example. Mm -hmm. So it actually, sorry, my ear pods might uh, die on me. <laughs> um, so okay. they, uh, when you put a big stress on something, there's micro tears and those heal, but the, the tissue oh. itself is never the same. Mm -hmm. So then you end up just consistently injuring and re-injuring until eventually there will be a tear. I've been lucky and I've never had a tear but I have very, very stretchy ligaments. Yeah. Um, it grosses out every physiotherapist that touches them. <laughs> I, I imagine it's kind of yeah. like all the guys on my soccer team who wear knee braces are always seem like they're more in jeopardy of, of having another injury in the same place. Yep. Um, yeah, which is that, like that's why exactly I, I get so nervous at soccer because I've never had a bad knee injury, but I, um, like still play with the same intensity that I did when I was like 20 
And I imagine that when I'm 40 and I'm doing this the same way, then my knees are probably dude. You know be, what you should do? You be should be in trouble. Be in big should, trouble. You should get a couple of knee braces, a couple of elbow arm braces, a neck brace, and play with all that shit on. And dudes will leave you alone. That's and you actually can, a good yeah, idea. Yeah, and you can just you can you know, especially with the neck brace. You see you playing with a neck brace on. <laughs> I like they're not. Gonna, they're not. No one fucking. No one's gonna. No one's gonna touch you. Yeah, and actually, all, all you do is go. I'll sue. I'll sue. Yeah, I'll sue. That's right. You just do right. that while you play. That's right. Could, like, should I use a seeing eye cane? Yeah, you should also use a use a seeing stick. Um, I think that's getting problematic, yeah. and uh, we're going to have to del- just make note, uh, Donovan, delete that out of the episode. Teague, um, Teague I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yes, please. No, I was going to say, um, Comment on that. The, braces, <laughs> the braces preemptively is actually terrible physio advice. So <laughs> ah, actually, you're right. going to be more likely to injure <laughs> because ah. you're not using the muscles. Right. Even, yeah, even the right. neck brace, though. Maybe. <laughs> 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 bad, bad physio <laughs> advice, good legal advice. Be- before you get into yes. that question, Taylor, I, there is something that, I, that I'm kind of curious about. And it's this, this ties into the fact that it took you so long to end up with a, with an official diagnosis. Um, I think that, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's no, it comes to no surprise to the three of us that like by doing, by virtue of doing this podcast and having these kinds of conversations, we hear from people who listen to the podcast, who end up writing and reaching out to us going, Oh my goodness. I was listening to this episode about X, Y, Z and a light bulb went off and I thought, holy shit, I think that, I think that is speaking to what I am going through. And you guys have like literally helped me find a diagnosis to this thing that I, I didn't, I I knew something was up, but I didn't really know how to get an answer. Um, so when it comes to getting diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos, um, you're not the first person who's told us that it actually more often than not can take quite a long time to receive a diagnosis like that. What are some of the the sort of like key factors, the things that like the ways in which um, like clinical presentations of Ehlers-Danlos, p- things that people might look at and go, okay, that's, you know, that's one. Uh, obviously the hypermobility, we, we've, we've covered that, but are there other things that sort of stand out that people might not think about? Um, I think the biggest thing is the hypermobility, but I think there's a big pain component to it too. Um, especially as you're growing. So everything's contributed to like growing pains. You're just having growing pains and you're actually just in pain because your Mm -hmm. ligaments are pulling and everything just doesn't feel good. Um, Beyond that, like, I don't know if it's necessarily been a super uh, impactful diagnosis. Um, It's been kind of cool from a scientific perspective. Right. but I think a big thing when it takes so long to get diagnosed is it's it doesn't matter kind of thing. Um, and that's been the approach that like my family had is does it really matter to get you diagnosed? Um, mm. Because as soon as you get genetic testing, there's implications when it comes to insurance um, oh. and not getting insurance in my case. Um, whereas it did it really have a huge impact having the classic versus the hypermobility type? Not really. Right, right. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper 
and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. So that was an issue for you. Like you got the you got the uh, genetically confirmed classical type diagnoses, and then all of a sudden that started fucking with your ability to receive, you know, life insurance things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, officially denied on life insurance because of it <laughs> um, and wow. disability. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and so I'm a healthcare worker. Um, I've been lucky to be able to fight the denial of health insurance, but they did deny me that too initially. Um, so it's super frustrating because you're like, why was, what was the point? Um, especially when it really has no implication. And I submitted, you know, 20 or so documents from specialists saying this doesn't matter, you know? Um, but it's something that's good to know. I mean, it's going to have an impact on the longevity of my career, um, and the choice of career that I do in as a physio, um, I already figure I won't be a clinician probably for more than 10 or 15 years, I'm two years in now. Um, but because of the role that I do in community healthcare, I'm not really rolling around or pushing real hard on people's joints or using my hands really that much. So I'll have a longer career in that aspect. But if I were doing manual therapy, which is pretty intense physio, my joints would never, yeah. would never hold up to that. Yeah. So it has an impact that way. And it's good to know why. Um, I think it'd be really frustrating if I you know, I dislocate my shoulder on a biweekly basis right now. Um, so it was nice to know there's a reason that I cough my shoulder out of yeah. place. Why, why, why does, uh-huh. um, when, when you have a genetic confirmation of something like Ehlers Danlos and then you go to apply for life insurance, health insurance, whatnot, what are the, what, cause, um, you know, I, 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 I have a health insurance plan, but I don't have a I don't have a disease that I'm that I that I'm aware of. So I I have never had to go through this process. What is the process and the and the the necessities of like disclosing? Like how does that work? Is it like you are mandated because you have the information? It's on your medical record that you have to disclose to um, insurance companies that you have X Y Z. Yeah, um, some jobs if and depending on the group plan, if you apply within so many days, they'll you know, you don't, they don't ask any questions. You're just on. Um, and that was the case with my job, but there was a paperwork issue. Um, so then when you go to apply as a late applicant or for like Canada life, for example, um, or any other insurance company and their company, so they have to figure out their risks. Um, when they, like when you're doing the questionnaires, they specifically say, and you have to confirm that you're telling, you know, the whole truth and, Um, They do ask if you've been genetically confirmed for any conditions um, or if you're undergoing genetic testing for whatever. And then they ask what it is Mm. Um, in my experience. And like when I was doing these questionnaires, I'm in like peak health, except for that and my BMI. (laughs) So um, I was denied based on like both of those things, but I'm in great cardiac health. I have no comorbidities. I'm don't have diabetes, don't have high blood pressure, don't have anything like that, which are all things that normally they would, mm. you know, give you a higher premium for. But as soon as they hear a condition that they don't know about, and EDS isn't 
super well known, even amongst the medical community. I have lots of doctors that have never heard of it before. Um, I think as soon as something they hear that and they Google it and they see that you could have a dissected aorta from having the vascular type, they just assume that it's going to be that for everybody. Um, mm. so it's a disservice to a lot of people because it adds a lot of like mental health strain, um, totally. not having health insurance. Um, but yeah, you do have to unfortunately disclose that stuff. Um, if it's asked for in that application. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, I think it does, it, especially like giving that example, like you said, like, you know, there are things that it asks for like high blood pressure or things like that. Diabetes, like, you know, really common things mm-hmm. that people live with and, and, um, like health insurance companies have, have, you know, seem to come to an agreement that even though you might have high blood pressure or you have diabetes, like you should still get access to health insurance and in, in, you know, in some capacity and maybe uh, like you said, there's higher premiums and whatnot, blah, 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 but you can still get access to it. But simply because of like a lack of understanding um, of something that's less common, like EDS or a thousand other things, I'm sure that, you know, somebody could live with that it could just automatically, you know, make you ineligible for something Mm -hmm. that is really important in your life. Yeah. And it's literally a genetic condition. So it's not like you can do anything about it. Um, Whereas some things that they ask are lifestyle choices too. So, Mm. um, and just because you have a certain lifestyle choice doesn't mean you shouldn't get health insurance. I'll tell you that right now, but it's frustrating when, you know, it's something like you work in healthcare and then you don't have those benefits. Uh, The um, The irony. The question that I, that I I wanted to ask earlier is, um, you know, we were talking about the North, uh, the, the North American indigenous games. Are you indigenous? No, I'm not. Okay. I was, cause I was wondering if there was my, the, the, well, you're not. So the question is, is moot, but I was wondering if there's a genetic component that is like where mm. Ehlers-Danlos is more common, you know, for certain ethnicities and whatnot. If that was uh if, if mm. you knew anything about that. Yeah. Cause cystic fibrosis, it's more common. Uh, I mean, it's more common, but not exclusive to, northern european descent like it's, yeah it's and you find that with like a with a, with with a, with a lot with a lot of diseases yeah, yeah. where you just find them in different populations yeah. and different rates it's really hard to tell if that's actually because i mean a lot of the research is done on um european men um mm-hmm. so it's hard i mean you have these like not causational but correlated um populations so it's hard to tell if it's actually the case or if there's just missing data um i feel for some reason that triggered a vague memory i think in my kind of and i mean like medical research not you know myo clinic um (laughs) of of uh classical eds i do think it has a european um Mm. connection and i am about as european as it gets so um i just did my ancestry (laughs) so yeah yeah, so did i i got like i got like 10 10 new relatives that are fourth cousins that are who fucking knows from my third great grandparents exactly. are they banging down the door exactly. knowing all that money you got from uh from your accident recently <laughs> recently they might that be was, now that was three years ago hey that, that money's, money's gone that money's gonna keep on going baby keep trucking see I wanted, I wanted to ask too about um speaking of like uh of things like uh life insurance and other sort of financial implications of a genetic diagnosis. Um, actually, Jared, um, you might know but a little bit more about this, but there's a, there's a, what is it? The registered retirement disability program or, or something like that, that you can the RDSP RDSP. What is it? Registered is it? disability, uh, savings plan. 
Yeah. Um, do you have you heard of this, Tegan? Are you familiar with it? Nope. That is a new acronym for me. Is it? Jerry. Brian just started working at RBC, so I think he's about to pitch you something. But anyway, continue. Yeah, he gets two percent. I'm ready to switch banks. <laughs> Jerry, you can speak more to it. Um, but I mean, dude, that, like... I can't speak to the RDSB at all. It's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it, I, it, real, real. I mean, I think it's basically a, a, an option for people that that are, that are living with a disability to, to save up for retirement, and the government will match up to $10,000 per year of what you put in. So it's like, it's like a great, it's like an RRSP, or, but, but fucking jacked up. And for specifically your people who qualify with a disability, which I guess, so I guess like in your case, you would be, you are, you're a disabled person, right? Like by the, by the, by the confines of. By definition, probably. I've never. I mean, but it's. Yeah, it's I've never same, added it to my identity, but it's probably true. Yeah. Well, this is the reason why I like the, I actually wanted to kind of go down that lane with asking this question because Jer has cystic fibrosis and for you, Jer, I don't think you would identify as a disabled. You're part. fucking goddamn right. I do. Look at me. I, I, yes, I do. I, Ryan, <laughs> dude, don't fuck sorry, this up for you, me, dude. Sorry, they already identity. took the make a wish away from me. It's your identity. So, so, yes, I am disabled. Going to take his RDSP okay, next. Yeah, but but I guess fuck, the the point that I, the point that I actually want to make is financial that, ruin is that for people who end up in situations like this where they're diagnosed with an illness, uh, there are there could be opportunities, I suppose, for financial assistance in different ways, and. Um, not to say that everybody, because like, obviously there's a ton of gaps in the system. Um, you know, I think as an example, I think of my mom dealing with her, um, remission from cancer. She needs catheters and supplies to go to the bathroom every day. If she doesn't have them, she'll, she'll die. It's like $500 a month in supplies and she has to pay for them out of pocket. And there's not really any, there's not really any programs that help cover that. There's like a tax credit thing, I think, that you can get a little bit of money back for, but it's really not enough. And so um, trying to identify, like, I know that you're not a social worker, um, but through doing like community uh, service work um, through your through physiotherapy, like, are there things that you have identified or programs or ways that people can access help, you know, be it financial or otherwise, that you were surprised to learn about that other people might not be aware of? I think my whole job in general is something that people don't really realize how accessible we are. So I work, it's called extramural program, but it's a government of New Brunswick specific um, incentive. So it's not, not, it's not federal. It's not in other provinces have probably stuff similar, but a lot of times it's a privatized um, health service. So we're funded by like the government in New Brunswick. We're managed by Medivy Blue Cross, but formerly by our um, Horizon Health Authority. Um, and like it doesn't like, as long as somebody like can't access their like medical services because they don't have insurance or because they don't have the you know a lot of people are really rural, so they can't literally can't drive to the hospital or you know we have very low access to services in. Um, Woodstock and surrounding areas. Um, our whole like job is, is actually like, uh, an access that people don't realize that we help that many people. Um, so like we work with seniors mostly, 
but we work with a lot of folks who are um, on disability as well because they can't work and because they can't work and they don't make enough money. That whole system is to keep people in poverty. Um, same with your EI and your um, anybody who collects welfare or stuff like that. That whole system is made to keep people there. It's not so that they can get get up and going and on their feet and back to it. Um, so we like as a whole uh, program offer that access to care to to a wide variety of people. Um, so, and I mean, this is my first job out of school too. So everything that I learned was new as what we could act, give to people. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, but there's a lot of programs through the government of New Brunswick specifically, um, that can be really helpful. We have different rehab programs. We have long-term care, um, different resources and pools of money that we spend because it's there to be spent. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if we don't spend it, they're going to take it away um, you know, for the people that, that need it. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, we have veterans affairs and stuff like that, but, um, I deal mostly with the public stuff. Um, and it's a lot of paperwork, but we sit and do it with people too. How do, Um, how do people that you work with find you? We are normally referred right from, um, the hospitals. So if somebody goes in for, a broken hip and they fell or something and they need our services because they can't get to a clinic or to the hospital for outpatients, we get the referral. Um, we're fairly well known in our communities um, as a first line of healthcare. So, oh my gosh, that dog is so cute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, looks like my, my dog is a Labradoodle. So he looks just like that. that that's <laughs> um, what this boy is. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, but uh, our community um, knows about us because we drive around and we have marked cars and people know that, um, you know, they, they go to church and they tell them, oh, my extramural nurse came today or whatever. Um, so we get community referrals too, whether that be from the patient themselves or from their family members mm-hmm. or in my case with my family members who didn't know that, say, my my grandmother needed services, didn't know that they qualified because mm-hmm. she's has a pension income and stuff. Um, she did. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, it was nice to be able to get her referred in, um, to see my colleagues. So, mm-hmm. um, that's just how they kind of know about us, but it does come from a really overall, um, well-communicated, uh, service between us, between private practice and between the hospital system. Right. Have those, you, uh, ha- those, those churchgoers must really like you coming by too. Cause they're like, look at this girl. She's praying all the time. Look at her. <laughs> She's praying these. I wear pants, but I did spend two hours at somebody's house yesterday talking about Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Don't follow. Amen. So it was fun. I was like, she's dying. I can sit through Jesus talking. So. Is, is there, Teague, is there anything that you've you're learned? so sweet. <laughs> just, just cause you're dying. It's just because you're dying. I've received, there's a lot of Bibles on the back shelf here from patients. Um, <laughs> Something yeah. about me screams. Needed. It's the knees. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tiga, I'm curious if you've, if like through Ooh. your work, you've learned anything about um, your own experience as someone living with Ehlers-Danlos and if you've, um, if there's been anything that you've been able to like take away from you know helping other people navigate the system or or working as a physiotherapist um, that applies to your own situation? Yeah, I think most of my like 
the relatability came from being in school because every single lecture got turned around to Ink Teague's case with mm. EDS, you don't do this or whatever. Um, in my current uh, employment, I don't think it really comes up that often. And I actually don't see a lot of people with hypermobility because they're actually really stiff. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of the complete opposite. Um, but it's like it's always a consideration. Um, it just changes how I practice and the body mechanics I have to hold because we can't lift a bed up to to accommodate my joints or whatever. And um, but I I don't know if it's necessarily been that applicable. Luckily, I guess that's a, a lucky and and privileged thing is that it hasn't been super relevant um, in my career and with my clientele. What would you say is the biggest thing that EDS has taken away from you? Um, peace of mind, probably. Um, I mean, I I should be wearing my ankle braces all the time, but they're really clunky and then you lose muscle mass. But, you know, I'm walking into people's homes and in their driveways and I have to be hyper-focused that I'm not going to roll my ankle because I have um, in somebody's home. Mm. Um, I have to learn how to do stuff and how to manage the severe pain that happens when you sublux a shoulder in somebody's mm. home. Um, so uh. I think it's more the peace of mind as well as a change in like my activity level. Um, I play like rec beer league softball and it hurts a lot when my shoulder comes mm. out when I'm playing. Um, it's, it's, it causes a massive amount of frustration. I get really upset and um, down on myself when it happens because it's mm. just, it's always something. It's never a cool reason. Like I said, I coughed my shoulder at a place last week. <laughs> yeah. So. What What would you yeah. say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, it made my two years of physiotherapy school very relatable. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's also there's like there's online communities. I'm not super active on like Facebook pages and stuff, but it's nice to be able to sit and hear like other people's. Um, experiences and um sometimes you're humbled a bit by uh what you think is a really impactful uh issue but other people have um worse issues or um they have actually i've learned a lot um for just management tips um like even as a physiotherapist i've been able to share uh different general programs for um joint uh joint health and and Ooh. stuff like that without crossing the barrier of not being able to give that for free. Um, but, uh, it's, it's probably given more of a community, but it's been more impactful for my family. Um, mm. so like it's a genetic, it's, I think it's dominant, but I don't really understand if it has like, not everybody presents with it, but we all carry it. I'm the only kid that has the issue, but my uncle, um, it had an impact on whether or not he got a second mechanical or pig's valve for his heart oh, for a wow. different reason. But, you know, he, when I was um, confirmed, he just happened to be due for a new valve and they decided to go mechanical over a pig because of me being confirmed, therefore him being confirmed. Right. And you don't mean confirmed, but in, in the eyes of God, you mean confirmed. Um, <laughs> in the eyes of the medical community, <laughs> which might be more important. I don't know. In the church of Scientology. It depends on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> it certainly depends. Well, Teague, I mean, I like, I, um, again, this has been a really unique uh, opportunity for us because 
It's it's not so often that we get to speak to um, somebody living with something who's also really, really steeped in the at the education surrounding the like mechanics of the human body. So it's it is really neat to get your take on uh, on living with EDS and also just to be able to hear some of the like really valuable work that you do and and also really nice to to hear how you feel like what you are doing is is valued and like and 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 cherished like it's that's another kind of thing i feel like um is sort of rare to hear unfortunately people working in the healthcare it's it's an honor to be able to leave somebody's home and say Mm. and think to myself like i did a good job and i did something that matters um i'm a super pessimistic person so that kind of self-talk doesn't normally happen and it's only (laughs) in my professional career that it does so well, it's really nice to hear yeah. that yeah and uh and i just want to say thank you thank you for taking time into your schedule to sit down and be so open with us this has been a real treat oh i'm so excited i think i applied like two years ago yeah <laughs> so it was really cool that i i was like oh my gosh i totally forgot that i even put my name in to talk to you guys and i listen to your guys's podcast like every all, every new episode so oh, well, and actually you. one of my friends was on um and that's why i knew about you guys um, oh cool that's sweet angela sandy talked like it'd be three years ago now i think she was wow. talking about her um her condition too so it was, mm. it was kind of fun she recommended well, you guys <laughs> well i mean it's a great reminder to anybody listening right now that if you have applied in the past um just know you there's hope know. Yeah, there's yeah you might there's get a hope. fucking call there's, there's, there's hope there's four thousand people you might be there. in halifax when they call <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's right just thank you so much this was, this was, this was awesome prayer. thank you yeah. <laughs> you never know <laughs> you never know <laughs> that is it for this week's edition of routine checkup thank you so much for tuning in folks it means the world to us And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.